to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his own blood and made us a kingdom and priests to God his Father, to him be glory and power forever. Our text for our sermon is recorded in the epistle to the Colossians, chapter 1, verses 21 through 29. I will be reading that account throughout the sermon. Brothers and sisters in Christ, in our first lesson... Three men appear to Abraham, and we are not told that he knows that one of them is the Lord. Abraham had a servant's heart. God had served him, and in Abraham's case, he had prospered him in this life, even though he had to wander around Canaan and wait 450 years until the time when his family would actually take over that land and inherit God's promise. Out of love for the Lord, he was willing to serve three strangers. And it turns out he's entertaining the Lord who tells him that he's going to have a son. Abraham will be 99 years old when Isaac is born. But Sarah laughs. She can't believe it. This is ridiculous. So God actually points out her lack of trust in his word. And God will actually give her trust in the word, promising, I will return in a year and you will have a son. Isaac, by the way, means laughter. So that's how he gets his name. It's easy to serve God when he gives you blessings like that, isn't it? Well, maybe being 90 and having a child, you women who've been in labor, you'd say that's not such a blessing. But the miracle was to point to the coming miracle of Abraham's descendant, our Lord Jesus Christ, who was born of a virgin. Martha was right on the money wanting to serve her Lord when he showed up with all his disciples in that crowd that followed. And she busied herself taking care of all the things that need to be taken care of because she loved the Lord. She wanted to make sure that he was served and serve those that were with him. She got frustrated. There's my sister Mary sitting on her hiney doing nothing and I'm breaking a sweat. Lord, tell her to help me. Notice God doesn't say she's wrong. Jesus tells her Mary has chosen the better. The better of two good things. To serve the Lord is to hear his word. And then like Abraham and like Martha, that makes us want to serve God, doesn't it? Ah, but did you hear the words of verse 24? The Apostle Paul says, Now I'm rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake, and so I'm taking my turn in filling up the leftovers of the affliction of Christ in my flesh for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now let me clear some timber here, because this text can be completely misunderstood. The Greek word that I translate as afflictions never, never is used for Christ's suffering to atone for our sin. So it's a totally different word. So the Apostle Paul isn't saying, I'm suffering to atone for the sins of the church, not at all. We do know that the Sanhedrin plotted to murder Jesus because they hated him. Christ is hated and will be hated by everyone except for those to whom he gives to faith right up until the day he returns. And because he's hated, those who are members of his church will be persecuted. So the Apostle Paul is saying right now at our time, I'm taking my fair share of this persecution for the benefit of the church. And part of that persecution is he's sitting in Rome under arrest because he's appealed to Caesar. That would be Nero because a lot of people and the government's treating it as if it's an outlawed religion. But brothers and sisters in Christ, it's pretty clearly here. Serving Christ does not always mean that life is hunky-dory, does it? 
There's going to be suffering because you are serving the one that people hate. And people will hate you for serving the Lord. For serving the Lord by serving them with His Word. And let's admit it, brothers and sisters in Christ, not a one of you got to sleep in this morning, did you? You will give a sacrifice of your offering, which is a portion of your labor, your blood, sweat, and tears. Why? Why would we serve the Lord knowing we can be hated and even killed for doing it? I don't know about you, but that's kind of a major bummer in this world. Oh, Lord, I, you know, if serving you means I get healthy, wealthy, and wise, yeah, let's do that. But I can get killed? I can be hated and despised by my own family? <laughs> None of that, Lord. So that brings up the question today. Why would you serve Christ? And boy, the rubber hits the road right away on the first verse. The Apostle Paul says in verse 21, And so you who were formerly those having been not just alienated, not just separated, but utterly alienated and hostile in respect to your mindset. The very way you think, the way you view the world, the filter that makes you determine things. Every thought you have in your natural condition, in my natural condition, is hatred towards God. There is no being able to make a decision for Christ if all you can do is hate Him. And he adds, in your evil works. Everything we do, even if it benefits our fellow man in God's eyes, stinks. Stinks of sin. As he says through the prophet Isaiah, your works are but filthy rags to me. And you know what filthy rags were used for? Well, we use toilet paper today. You can figure out what would make it filthy. Brothers and sisters in Christ, in our natural condition, we want to run out. We don't want to struggle against our sin. Our sinful nature wants to embrace it. That's fun. That's a good time, according to our sinful nature. Who wants the struggle of fighting against it and then feeling guilty when it gets its sucker punch in and we lose? But you see, our natural condition is not freedom. It is a cruel servitude. It is a slavery to the devil, to the world, and our sinful nature. And we cannot free ourselves. We cannot even recognize how enslaved we are because we were born in the dark dungeon of that sin and it's the only world we've known. Period. And we are destined straight for hell. But verse 22 says, Yet he has now completely reconciled you. I love the Greek word there. Completely reconciled. That means thoroughly changed from being an enemy to a friend. And you are more than just a friend because you are a branch grafted onto the vine that is Christ. He has taken you on to be part of His body, which is the invisible church of all believers, and He's the head. So, yet He has now completely reconciled you in the body of His flesh through His death in order to present you as holy, unblemished, and without accusation before Him. Oh, but I sin daily and so do you. But see, he's given you the new man. The new man is holy, unblemished, and without any accusations before him. This is freedom, brothers and sisters in Christ. Freedom from the damnation of sin. Free to do what we couldn't do before. Before all we could do is pick which sin we're going to embrace. Now we can actually struggle against it. This is freedom because we are not enslaved to an eternal destiny of hell. Being engrafted to Christ means we have eternal life. We are prince and princesses in His kingdom. And so, why do we serve? 
Because we were actually slaves. And now we have been made prince and princesses in an eternal kingdom. And that means every day, not just you will be, every day your new man is holy, unblemished, and without accusation before him because you have been engrafted to him. Ah, but the Apostle Paul gives us the warning in verse 23 as a side note. If you indeed remain upon the faith. In other words, if you don't lose your faith. See, brothers and sisters in Christ, there are Christians that confusedly teach once saved, always saved. But we can take a sin and we can embrace that sin and we can give it the place in our heart that belongs to the Holy Spirit and squeeze the Holy Spirit out of our heart. We can listen to a false teaching. And all false teachings usually begin with you just have to add a little bit, a little bit of your own work to be saved, not God has engrafted you onto himself. And we can, we can turn around and lose the faith as we become self-righteous, thinking we're earning our salvation. And so he specifies what that faith is. He said, specifically, having been established upon, this is past tense, you're built upon the rock of Christ, steadfast. You remain upon the rock of Christ. And then he says, and not shifting away from the hope of the gospel. Now, the word hope here is a confident expectation. The gospel is what's been mentioned. Christ took on human flesh. He's given you faith. He's given you the new man. So you stand wholly unblemished and without accusation before him every day. And that's the good news of salvation. And you have been given faith so that you confidently expect, yes, I just sinned, Lord, but that was my sinful nature. You've given me a new man. You've washed that sin away. So here I stand holy, unblemished, and without accusation. Please let me serve you by struggling stronger against my sin. Not in order to be saved, because I am saved. And so he says... He continues on not shifting away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard. They'd already heard it. They were believers. That good news that God has become a man and, and through his life, through his death, you are wholly unblemished and without accusation before him. So he says, this is the gospel that was preached in all creation under the heavens of which I, Paul, became a servant. If somebody comes to you and tells you a different gospel, something's wrong. The gospel is the same for our brothers and sisters in Christ in China, in Russia, in Saudi Arabia, in Vietnam, in Mexico, and even in all creation under the heavens. Brothers and sisters in Christ. The gospel is always the same. God took on human flesh to save us so that we are wholly unblemished and without accusation before him. This is how God puts his love into our hearts. And this answers the big bulk of the question. Why would you serve Christ? It's because you have been given the faith that set you free. You know by his word and promise, you believe that you are holy and unblemished. Even though you still have a sinful nature, you have a new man that's built on the rock and standing there. And that is true freedom, standing right on Christ the rock. So he continues in verse 24, which we'd already read. Now I'm rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake, and so I'm taking my turn and filling up the leftovers of the affliction of Christ in my flesh for the sake of his body, which is the church. I became a servant for the church according to God's stewardship, which was given to me in order to fill the word of God full into you. Wow. 
we could preach a sermon on both of these verses. The Apostle Paul packs a lot of punch. We've covered verse 24, so let's get to verse 25. According to God's stewardship, Paul had become a servant. This is God who created all things. His house is all of creation. And just like a person who keeps control of the cupboard and buys the groceries and figures out what to cook and, and how it's going to be served and figures out the portions each person's going to eat. So God, before he said, let there be light, knowing all things, planned, knew Paul would be persecuting the church himself, but planned to take that young man who was studying to be a rabbi and turn him into the apostle to the Gentiles. Now, you can say the same thing, because before God said, let there be light, he planned for you to hear the word. He planned to implant that word in your heart through the Holy Spirit so that you are holy and unblemished before him. And he planned to make sure you arrive safely in heaven so that you can serve him by trusting his word and sharing his word. So God had planned this out according to his stewardship. Not that Paul was such a great guy. He was persecuting the church. And he planned your salvation, not because you're such a great human being. You were a slave to sin. Simply God in his grace planned to free you. And so he says, which was given to me in order to fill the word of God full into you. What a beautiful picture. You start pouring up a cup with water and it overflows, but your pitcher never empties. So you just keep pouring it in. I'm privileged. I'm spoiled. You guys spoil me because I get to spend hours and hours every day in the word of God. And you know the thing I've learned? I can come back to a text I've preached on five or six times. Oh, here's something I got to tell my brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, what a beautiful jam. Here's a new application. The Apostle Paul was called to just keep filling that word of God into the Gentiles. And so he continues with verse 26, namely, the mystery which has been concealed from the ages and from generations, yet now has been revealed to God's saints. Now, when we say saints here, we're not talking about people we give the position of God and pray to. We're talking about you because you are holy and blameless before God. You're a believer. You're set apart as holy. See, God's word there is a mystery to the world. He's hidden it. We can look out at creation, we can look out at a beautiful day and a beautiful sunset, and we can see God's signature, and we would be fools not to say, there's somebody who designed this, and this person is orderly, and this person is caring and holy. But you will never hear that this God became literally a person, a man, to save you. Unless God sends his word to you, usually through a messenger like the Apostle Paul, Maybe through parents who are the messenger or somebody who obviously already was a Christian when we were unbelievers to share that message. It's a mystery because the only way we can find it, it's not under a rock, is for God to send it to us through one of his messengers. And so he says in verse 27, God wanted to make known to the saints what are the riches of the glory of this mystery in the Gentiles. The Israelites already had it because they had the word, but it wasn't just for the Israelites. It was for the Gentiles, the riches. See, that's the thing, brothers and sisters in Christ. If I were to win $2 million today, there's a lot of things I'd love to do, but I would eventually run out of money. But the glory of God's grace, the forgiveness of sins, the word of God, it's a treasure house store that never runs empty. 
You will never reach somebody that you have to say, I'm sorry, I'd love to tell you that your sins are forgiven, but I can't. I've run out of forgiveness. We've run out of the blood of Christ. God's grace is always there. Even when we're suffering hard times, it is a gift of God's grace. And we get to share that even with the people who weren't born with the word. The Israelites were born with it. The Gentiles received it out of God's grace. This mystery is Christ in you. Namely, the hope, and again, that's confident expectation of his glory. And the amazing thing is you can expect that you have his glory now because your new man is engrafted to him and it is God's glory. And you will also receive more glory when Christ returns because he is going to give you a glorified body and a new heavens and a new earth that will shine with his glory. And so in verse 28, the Apostle Paul says, We ourselves keep on proclaiming Christ by admonishing every man. Oh, wait, wait, let's just stop here. Now we get back to that servitude thing, don't we? We ourselves keep on proclaiming Christ by admonishing every man. Admonishing means to point out their flaws, not like somebody who's holier than thou. Look at you. You don't do this so well, but I do. This is the proclamation of the law. I'm sorry to we say to a brother or sister in Christ, but you are embracing a sin and it looks like you're grabbing hold of it and letting it have that place that God is supposed to have in your heart. I don't want to see you go to hell. Or turning to an aunt or an uncle or a brother or a sister or a co-worker or a friend and saying, you're not going to like hearing this, but right now you're a slave and you're going to hell. But we don't do it just to say, look at you, you're going to hell, adios amigos. We do it to show them that they are slaves who desperately need a savior. That's the point of the law. And then what does he say? And teaching every man in all wisdom. We proclaim the good news of salvation. We don't just show them they need a savior. We then have the privilege of showing them the savior. And we grow in that word, learning how to serve that word, not because we have to, but because it's built into us, because we are saved, because we are engrafted to Christ. Teaching every man in all wisdom. Not the worldly wisdom, God's wisdom, which is in his word. So that we may present every man complete in Christ. See, brothers and sisters in Christ, the minute you believe in Jesus, you're complete, you have that new man. And the Apostle Paul got to say this with the Gentiles. Look, Lord, I, I, I got to share the word of God with this person and they were a believer. But, you know, you get to do the same. Someday I will stand in heaven near my sons and say, Lord, I shared the word with them. My wife will have the same privilege. I will get to stand with my friends and say, Lord, I shared the word with them. And you, you will get that privilege. It's not a privilege in which we say, look at how gifted I was in sharing the word with them. It was, thank you, Lord, I got to share the law and gospel. And, and you then use that to bring them to faith so they're complete in you. So why would you serve Christ? Not just because you've been given the faith that set you free, but you've been given the hidden key to freedom, what actually unlocks or busts the chains. The law which shows them they're slaves and need a savior and the big key, the loosing key. Good news of salvation in Christ. Ah, but brothers and sisters in Christ, I got to admit to you, I have often thought after, there, I have pet Bible passages that are just always there in my mind, my go-to Bible passages. And I get the opportunity to share the Word of God with somebody who's new to the faith. And, and I walk away and go, how 
how could I not remember this Bible passage? It's always there. Some of you know one of them is a little even, leavens the whole lump. Why didn't I think of that one? Or, I remember one time a, a person I had the opportunity to work with who had been raised in a very legalistic church, a Christian church that did not know Jesus as a Savior. And I could not argue that person into knowing God's grace. That makes service miserable. But brothers and sisters in Christ, that's putting the power in ourselves. The Apostle Paul says in our last verse, I also am laboring to this end specifically, contending according to Christ's working. Which is working, and here again in the Greek language, the, ver the verb that's used here is middle voice. So the way we would best translate and understand this is, which is working in and of itself in me, Literally in power. The power is God's word. The power is the Holy Spirit. The power is our Savior Jesus. The power is God the Father who planned all things out. You don't have to argue somebody into Jesus. That's God's job. You don't have to have the power in of yourself. You simply proclaim the word as God presents the opportunity. It's God who has the power. And it's his word that does the working in and of itself in you. Why would you serve Christ? Because the power is not yours, and yet you have been given the power that sets free. And by this power, the devil runs. The demons scream in fear and horror. What a wonderful power you've been given. Yes, brothers and sisters in Christ, Mary and Martha both had servants' hearts because they loved the Lord, because they were free. And the same thing with the Apostle Paul, same thing with Abraham. We've asked the question, why would you serve Christ? And the answer is, because you've been given the faith that has freed you. The answer is, because you've been given the hidden key to freedom, which is the word, the law and the gospel. And ultimately, it takes all the pressure off you because the power is not yours. It's been given to you to use and that you have been given the only power that frees. Amen. Now may the God of hope fill you with complete joy and peace as you continue to believe so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.